I have the privilege of continuing uh, Pastor Ed's series on uh, time uh, history, and I'm the third in the series. Title of the message, Alarm Clock, Live Your Life With No Regrets. Live your life with no regrets. We're living in an amazing time in history. And I believe that there is an open window of opportunity for this church like never before in our history. If you were here last time I spoke here, I spoke to you out of the book of the Revelation, and I explained to you that God has placed a lampstand or a candlestick in the midst of this church. How many remember that message? And that God has called you to be an influencer and an influence maker in this region. And I believe that there is a prophetic word for you. Before we get into Matthew 26, 6 10, let me ask you an eternal question. What's more important to you in this life? The approval of people or the approval of God? Well, yes, the vast majority of us would say the approval of people, but wait a second now, Calvary, let's get real honest. We are very concerned about what people think about us. That's often why we don't speak up for our faith because we don't want to be laughed at. That's why we don't say the truth to a friend because we don't want to upset them. That is often why we don't do the right thing because it's not popular. And all of those reactions are brought on by the fear and the opinions of other people, of the culture all around us. Proverbs, the 29th chapter and the 25th verse says this, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Hear it again. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. And in this story that we are about to read in Matthew 26, we are going to find that sometimes we are very quick to judge the motives of another person when we really do not know why they did what they did. We ought to be focusing on judging our own motives and our own heart and our own obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit that is lighting off an alarm in our heart that the time is so short and we have to be obedient right now to the call of God on our church, on our life, in our families. And not worry so much about the motives of the culture all around us. Join with me in Matthew 26, verses 6 through 10. Let's read an amazing story. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, I want you to underline that, when Jesus was aware of it. In other words, he took notice of the sacrifice. He took notice of the sacrifice. When Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. 
Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And here we are some 2,000 years later, and we are speaking about this exact same story. Allow me to give you a little background to what is happening right now in the chronology of events in this story. At this point, we are coming to a head in the life and the ministry of Jesus. He's already had a number of confrontational exchanges with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the political leaders of the day. They are angry with him, and they want to take him out. They literally want to kill him. And even though he is very popular, he is very controversial. The problem is they can't take him out now because the timing of events, in their opinion, is not right. Oh, understand, friends, the timing of everything is critical to the move of God. Timing is critical to everything in the move of God. You'll understand that in just a moment. Because it's the Passover at this time, there were thousands of pilgrims dramming the streets of Jerusalem. And again, Jesus is very controversial, yet he's very loved. Did you know that the average population of Jerusalem at this time was about 20 to 30,000 people? However, at the Passover, it would swell to 153,000 crammed into a very small area. So they can't strike him. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that on this time of the Passover, there were 256,000 lambs that were slaughtered that day. Ten people per lamb. I want you to imagine they are in tents pitched all over Jerusalem on the hillsides, 153,000 people where normally there's 20 to 30,000. They're bringing their lambs to slaughter. The lambs are bleeding in the streets and there's, exact, there's chaos everywhere. It's probably one of the most chaotic times in the history of the world. The Roman Empire is there. It's 153,000 people that are there. They're plotting to kill Jesus. There's politics that are happening. And meanwhile, in the midst of all of this turmoil, Jesus decides, let's go to a dinner party and spend time with friends. Remember, he's all man, yet he's all God. He knows exactly what is taking place. He knows all the turmoil. He knows everything that is happening. And yet he is in total control, total peace. He's relaxed. He's still Jesus. He's still Jesus. And among those friends at this dinner party are Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now remember, in the chronology of events, Jesus has already given the amazing Sermon on the Mount. It's an amazing, amazing sermon, probably the greatest sermon in the history of mankind. He's already raised Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus is now at this dinner party. Remember, again, there's 153,000 people in the streets. And in the midst of all the chaos we find Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. I've got to ask you, in the midst of the chaos and the political things that are happening in America, in the midst of all the thousands and thousands of people in Orlando and all the chaos in your life, what's distracting you from sitting at his feet, from hearing from him? And the Bible tells us that Mary, she brings to Jesus in verse 7, an alabaster flask, a very costly fragrant oil. 
We could liken it to the most expensive, exclusive, a rare perfume that a person can buy, better than Gucci, better than Prada. You can't buy this at Saks Fifth Avenue or, no, this is a very rare perfume, most likely imported from India, a family heirloom. One little drop would cause the whole room to fill with fragrance. But one little drop wasn't enough for Mary. She takes the whole bottle, the, the whole flask of oil, and she pours it over the head of Jesus. Why? Well, because that was the most precious thing she had. It was effectively her life savings. It was an act of complete adoration and devotion, total abandon to the call. That brings up another eternal question. Right now in your life, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is the most precious thing in my life? Is it a person? Maybe a loved one? For some, maybe it's a thing. Maybe you drove it in today. Maybe you don't even drive it. It just sits in the garage and you look at it and you polish it. And you whisper to it, hi, mijo. Mi corazón. Don't even want to drive it. Just look at it. Well, maybe it's the place you live in. Maybe you take extreme pride over the place you live in. Or possibly it is your career. Maybe it's a hobby, a relationship. But whatever it is, have you presented it to Jesus? Have you brought it to him, that prized possession? See, that's what Mary did. It was a very valuable gift. Listen to this all-important truth. The value of a gift is not determined by how much it costs, but by how much it costs you. The value of a gift is not determined by how much it costs, but how much it costs you. Remember, God the Father gave the value of his son. It cost him everything. And by the way, it was so valuable that Judas Iscariot took notice of the value. With his first century calculator in his hand, the man who knew the price of everything and the value of nothing. Oh, don't miss that. The man who knew the cost of everything and the value of nothing, he immediately determines in his mind the street value of this gift was around twenty-five to $35,000. See, we read that Judas says we could have sold this for 300 denarii. Now, 300 denarii in our currency today with inflation and all the things that are happening would equal today to about twenty-five to $35,000. And Judas, he says, why didn't we sell this and give it to the poor? We'll touch on that in just a moment. Now, this touches Jesus very deeply, and it wasn't just the monetary value or the cost of the perfume that touched Jesus. No, it was the depth of her devotion, the discernment, the understanding of who he really was. You see, Mary seemed to grasp something that everyone else seemed to miss. It's also very interesting that every time you 
study Mary, she's always sitting at the feet of Jesus. No matter the chaos, no matter the situation, she's always sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I believe this is why she had a deep insight about who he really is. You see, Mary seemed to understand that when Jesus said he was going to be crucified, he was not speaking metaphorically or symbolically. He was speaking literally. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. The disciples didn't seem to get it. It went right over their heads. His pastoral staff, the three most closest associates in the discipleship, Peter, James, and John, remember they were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, or it was Peter, James, and John that were with him when he said, Talitha kum, and he raised little Tabitha from the dead. It was Peter, James, and John who were with him in the most intimate moments of his life, yet they completely missed their window of opportunity to discern who he really was. It went right over their heads. But a little girl named Mary, who's not a prophet, she's not a teacher, she is not even on the inside of the pastoral team, she got it. In fact, on this particular night, with the intuition that is inherent of women, and those of us that have been married as long as I have know what that means. With the intuition that is inherent to women, she noticed something else. She saw the lines etching his face, and she read right the problems that were showing in his eyes. And in her sense, an alarm was going off. I've got to ask you, is the alarm of the Holy Spirit going off in your heart right now? Is the urgency of the hour, is the urgency of the task at hand, is the urgency that time is short? Oh, that's what was happening with Mary. The alarm clock was going off in her heart, and inner sense was telling her that the disciples were wrong in expecting him to establish an earthly kingdom. Christ was really going to die, and it was going to happen soon, and Mary was saying, Lord, I'm going to show you now what you really mean to me. I don't have the time to wait. I've got to show you now. She had this great spiritual insight to bring this gift to God and to show her deep love and her deep devotion to him. And why was Judas so critical? Was it because he cared for the poor? Was it because he really cared for the ministry? I mean, why did he really say this could have been sold for 300 denarii, 25 to $35,000? Uh, because it sounds good on the surface. But listen to what John's gospel tells us in commentary. John chapter 12, verse 6 says, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to steal what was put in it. Wow. Interesting that Judas accuses Mary of waste when the very name Judas brings to mind the ultimate waste and opportunity. In fact, I believe we could call him the son of waste. If you want to talk about a wasted life, it was Judas. 
You want to talk about wasted opportunities, it was Judas. We can nickname him the son of waste. Judas Iscariot had amazing potential. Oh, we all talk about great potential in people, but Judas, he was the picture of potential. And do you know that many of you, the moment I said Judas, in your mind, you begin to picture a dark, shadowy figure. You begin to think of somebody with red eyes like Darth Maul from Star Wars. Little horns and a tail. In fact, the vast majority of you, if we were to sit down for coffee, you would say, oh, you know what, Randy, if somehow I could be translated to that time, I could pick out Judas. Oh, really? Hmm. Well, remember, he's a hand-picked disciple of Christ. He's a preacher of the gospel. He's a healer of the sick. He's a traveling companion of Jesus. The fact is that he was so trusted that Jesus actually made him the treasurer of the apostolic ministerial team. Do you really think you can pick him out? Remember, he wasn't elected, he was selected. According to Augustine, the Jewish historian, Jewish tradition says Jesus had delivered Judas often from death and for his sake healed his father of palsy and cured his mother of leprosy. And next to Peter, Jesus honored Judas above all other apostles. Wow. Now that's what tradition says, and we can't take that for fact since it's not mentioned in the Bible. However, there are certain things we do know about Judas based on Scripture that gives us a little insight into who he really was. For instance, we know Jesus washed his feet. In our Western mentality, we don't understand the inference here, but if you've ever been in a foot washing service, I was doing a marriage conference uh, in Mississippi, and funny that they mentioned in the videos uh, Possum Neck, Mississippi. There is a Possum Neck, Mississippi. I've been there. And being Puerto Rican, I move really quick through there. And I was doing a marriage conference, and these young couples came in, and they were all excited. They'd been playing volleyball on the beach, and their feet were all dusty and dirty, and they walked into the afternoon session, they said, what are we doing today, pastor? I said, well, guys, you're going to wash your wife's feet. No way, man. I ain't washing them crusty old things. We started playing some music. We lowered the lights, and we kind of got some baby wipes out. And those big old guys, they knelt in front of their wife. And the presence of the Lord. And I watched these young millenniums begin to break and weep as they started cleaning their wife's feet. Afterwards, they all came running up saying, what in the world happened? I said, listen, what happened was you took the position of Jesus. She began to wash your wife's feet and show her unconditional love. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, knowing who the betrayer was, still knelt down and washed his feet. 
Can you do that? If you knew someone was going to betray you to the point of death, would you be able to wash their feet? We also know Jesus allowed Judas to dip his bread in his cup. And again, in our Western mentality, we don't understand, again, the inference there. Uh, I've got three sons, Christian, Morgan, and Quentin. I love them with all my heart. And my boys, they don't eat, they don't even chew. They swallow. And we'll go to Panera Bread. I love Panera Bread. The you pick two. Come on, how many know Panera's? They got that hard little crusty roll that you open it up, and inside it's all warm and gooey. And I'll go get the you pick two, uh, the tomato basil soup, and a little Caesar salad, and we'll get to talking with the boys. And pretty soon they'll say, uh, hey, Pop, you going to eat that? I'd like to. (laughs) And they'll reach over, my son Quentin especially, they'll reach over and they'll take their bread and dip it into my soup all the way up to their knuckles and kind of go like this. And I'm watching, you know, and then he'll pop in and the soup went all the way up to his knuckles. Now listen, I don't mind him doing that. That's my baby. That's my son. Even though he's 20 some odd years old, I don't care because I love him. But bro, I don't know you like that. (laughs) And if we go to Panera, don't you dare stick your little hands in my cup. I don't know where the messy little things have been. We don't have that intimacy. But Jesus allows Judas We know that Judas in the garden of Gethsemane, the word garden means, Gethsemane means olive press. It's where they would squeeze the olives to get all of the oil out. Isn't it amazing that God the Father chose the garden of Gethsemane for Jesus to be squeezed? And we know that Judas betrays him and Jesus says to him as he comes in, as Judas leans over and he kisses him. If you're Hispanic, you know it wasn't just a little peck. If you're in my family, it's whoop every coming in, you're getting kissed here and here and here, and usually it's by the tia that hasn't shaved and she has no teeth. (laughs) And Judas kisses him, and Jesus says, Judas... Is this how you would betray me? With a show of affection? It got me thinking, I wonder how many Christians on a Sunday morning betray the Lord with a show of affection because they sing praises on Sunday morning, but all week long they don't sense the alarm going off in their hearts that he's coming. He's coming. And the Bible tells us that Judas threw all of this stuff we've talked about, he threw it all away for 30 pieces of silver. Again, history tells us that that is the cost of a common slave in the marketplace or the cost of a broken down farm animal. So Judas betrays 
the sea walker and the blind healer, the lily of the valley and the bright morning star. He betrays the fairest of 10,000, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who said to the ocean, this far and no further. He betrays him for the cost of a broken down farm animal. But I want you to ask yourself, am I betraying him for soccer? Or whatever else is squeezing out your time in this culture. And yet, Judas has the audacity to accuse a woman with a good heart of wasting her gift as she gave it to Jesus. This just reminds us that often the hypercritical people out there are worse most often than the people they criticize. Don't be shocked when you find someone who is so quick to jump down the throat of someone else, they are usually guilty of something much worse. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, why are you so quick to find the speck in your brother's eye when you have a telephone pole sticking out of yours? That's my paraphrase. And the reason they're so quick about it is because they are so familiar with it, they know it so well, that sometimes people will project their own sin upon somebody else. It's called reflecting, and they want to push it onto someone else to take the heat off of them because they're ignoring the alarm clock of the Holy Spirit that's going off in their heart. There's an alarm clock going off. And the things they are accusing others of is the sin they're actually struggling with themselves. In 29 years of ministry, I have found that the ones who complain the most do the least. And the ones who do the most complain the least. And that's not to say there isn't a place for legitimate constructive criticism or asking of a question because Scripture explicitly teaches that each one of us, no matter who we are or our station in life, each one of us must retain a teachable spirit. But people who are always critical, always feeling that the motives of everyone else is wrong, always quick to jump to conclusions are often guilty of something far, far worse. And that's what Judas, he appeared to be thrifty and compassionate and spiritual, but in reality, he was a betrayer, a liar, a man who could not be trusted. Mary was perceived to be frivolous and silly and wasteful, when in reality, she is perceptive and sacrificial and trustworthy. Jesus commends her at the worship in verse 10, and he tells the disciples, why do you trouble this woman? She has done a good work for me. In other words, all the criticism from the ones who should have known better, you need to leave this woman alone. And then he says this, I appreciate what she has done for me. I'm deeply moved by her act of sacrifice. And listen, it wasn't the monetary value. It, it, it wasn't the amount of money she had. It was her complete devotion, her adoration. Understand, friends, I told you earlier, it's not how much a gift costs, but by how much it costs you. 
And there are so many of us that say, well, I can't do anything for the Lord. I don't have riches. I don't have all these things to give to God. Oh, you have so much that you can give. So much. I love Mark's version of the same story. When I say Mark's version, it's called the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic meaning they are parallel. And when you line up Matthew, Mark, and Luke and you study them, you begin to see different aspects or different views of the gospel story, the gospel narrative. And Mark says in his narrative, I love it. He says, she did what she could. She did what she could. You know, I think that non-believers look at us as Christians and they think we waste our time. One Sunday morning, I stopped in the lobby of the hotel I was staying in. The church had put me up and I was staying there and uh, I was there to get a cup of coffee and there was a little girl that was kind of the hostess and she's just bebopping around, you know, and she's just moving. It looked like she'd had eight cups of coffee before I got there. And she just, and she goes, good morning. And I said, well, good morning. Big plans today? I said, yeah. She said, well, what are your plans? I said, I'm going to church. It was a Scooby-Doo moment. She went, who? You're going to church? I said, yes. I didn't tell her I was the preacher. I didn't want to push her over the edge. She really didn't know how to react. It was kind of awkward. And she said, all day? I said, yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, you know, we're going to help out vacation Bible school, and so all week we're setting aside. Or our church is having a picnic and a crusade in the park, and there's going to be a band and games, and the music's going to be off the hook. It's going to be awesome, and then pastor's going to teach a little bit from the Bible, and so we volunteered our time. It's going to be a lot of fun. And they look at you, talk about a Scooby-Doo moment, and they go, all weekend? What a waste of a weekend. Is that really how you're going to spend your weekend or your week? You're really going to go to church and you're really going to fill Easter eggs and you're really going to go to Walmart and buy all that stuff? Está loco? What's your, are you kidding me? The answer should be yes, we can all do something. Listen, I won't be held responsible for what you are called to do by God, and you won't be held responsible for what I am called to do by God, but we all can do something. I've heard it said, I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. See, Mary did what she could, and likewise, we need to do what we can, because the alarm clock is going off, and he's coming very, very soon.
in the light of things that are happening scripturally, and we see what's happening politically, and we, and we see what's happening in the Middle East, and with ISIS, and all the things that are taking place, all the signs of the times are telling us Jesus is coming. Some young person may give up a promising career to go into a third world country and be on the mission field. And someone might say, whew, what a waste. Or you might give up certain pleasures and activities because you don't want to dull your spiritual life and your walk with God. And someone might say, what a waste. You really missed out. You may be the only person in your church who volunteers to teach a class or clean the church or lead the worship or visit the sick or fill in wherever it is needed. And someone might say, even on Saturday? Don't we have pastors that do that? You're going to waste an entire Saturday, but what they don't know is the alarm clock of the Holy Spirit is burning in your heart. You know, just like Mary did, that something is happening, something is moving, that God is amplified. His coming is very, very soon, and you've got one eye on the eastern sky and the other hand to the plow, and you know that the time is very, very short, and you know very soon that dead in Christ are going to rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with King Jesus. You know the alarm clock of heaven is sounding. Or you recognize that the work of the kingdom is worth investing in financially so you give faithfully and regularly over and above your tithe in your offering. Because you know deep in your heart that tithes are the debt you owe, but offerings are the seeds you sow. And so you are investing your life in the eternal things of heaven. And some people might say, even the people in your family who are not saved, they will say, what a waste. You should have kept it for yourself. Finally, you may decide to live for yourself and do whatever you want to do with your own life, and one day you will leave this planet and you will stand before God, for the Bible tells us that each day has been numbered and there is a day that you will stand before the master. And you may decide to live for yourself and do whatever you want to do with your own life, that's your choice, that's called free will. And you will stand before God and God will look at you and say, wow, what a waste. I place so much in you. Oh, just not monetary things, but I gave you the gift of compassion. There are some of you with a gift of grace. There are some of you with a gift of helps. There are some of you that have so many riches in you to give, not just monetary value. Oh, but the gift of loving, the gift of putting your arms around someone, maybe the gift of counseling. Oh, maybe it's the gift of a warm smile. But if we don't use it for the Lord, if we become selfish, the Lord will say, what a waste. Friend, nothing is ever wasted if it is done with the right heart for the glory of God. If you believe that, can you say amen to that? 
Did you know that history is littered with the tragic stories of missed opportunities by Christians who decided to live for themselves? They ignored the alarm clock of heaven. History tells us that when Muhammad, the founder of Islam, was on his spiritual journey, he was searching for answers. He understood Judaism, but he was very curious about Christianity. So he invited the bishops from the surrounding area to come to his home to tell him who Jesus really was. He wanted to know what Christianity was all about. Problem is, when they got to his home, they began to argue and fight over different theological issues and did not show the love of God. And Muhammad dismissed them out of disgust, and he told his servants, I will come up with my own understanding of who Jesus is and what Christianity is all about. And today, over a billion people in the world stand as a monument to the colossal failure of those church leaders who were more concerned with their own ideas than they were showing the love of Jesus. I want you to hear it from this preacher. Jesus loves you. That's why you are a military target. Lazarus was a military target, not because he was a prophet or a teacher, but because he was a friend of Jesus. And Jesus loved him. Jesus cared for him. Fast forward 600 years in the year 1271, when Nicolae and his brother Matteo Polo, the father and the uncle of the famous explorer Marco Polo, went exploring in the Far East, and they met up with Kubla Khan. Kublai Khan was the ruler of China, and his empire stretched over all of Asia. And history tells us that he felt attracted to Christianity. And he told these men, you go back to your high priest, and you tell them to send me 100 men who are learned and trained in your religion. And I'll be baptized, and my noblemen will be baptized, and my barons will be baptized, and their subjects will be baptized, and there'll be more Christians in this land than there will be in Europe. However, when they returned home, they basked in their momentum, their notoriety. They were hailed as heroes. And for 20 years, they did absolutely nothing. 20 years later, history tells us, they finally decided to send two missionaries back to the great Kublai Khan, but the window of opportunity had closed. Can you imagine? If back then they moved through the open door of opportunity with the urgency and the zeal that the Holy Spirit intended, today Christianity would be dominating Asia. In our text, Mary did what she could. So do what you can while you can, because I believe on that final day we will wish we had done so much more. Listen as I wrap this up and I close it for you. Have you ever seen the movie Schindler's List? It's a powerful film. It's a true story of Oscar Schindler. Schindler was a German businessman who was actually going to try and make a profit off of World War II and the effort and the war effort in Germany. He hired some Jewish people to work for him in his factory. One day, as the factory was closing, 
Schindler watched a group of his Jewish workers followed down the street by the German SS. He stood across the street and watched the German SS line these Jews up and mow them down with machine gun fire as the blood ran in the streets. Schindler was so moved, he decided the rest of his life to try and save the Jewish people. And he was very successful and still millions died in the Holocaust. At the end of the film, the war is coming to an end and Schindler's factory is shutting down. He saved about a thousand Jewish people. He has to get out of Germany because Berlin is falling and the allies are coming in. And he's having a conversation with Ishtok Stern. Ishtok Stern is the man who helped him get all these Jews out of Berlin. And I don't know if it's a historical conversation or a Hollywood depictment, but it sure got my attention. Schindler turns to Ishtok Stern and he says, I wish I could have done more. I wish I could have gotten one more out. And Stern said, Oscar, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. And he gestures towards all the people who are getting ready to leave. And Schindler says, if I had more money, I threw away so much money. If I just had a little more money, that pricked my heart. Because in America, we are so blessed. So blessed. And Stern interrupted and said, Oscar, there'll be generation upon generation because of what you did. Let me ask you, will there be generation upon generation in heaven because of what you did? And Schindler responds, I didn't do enough. Do you hear the regrets? I could have done so much more. Think about how some might feel when they look over their life, even Christians, and we say, what a waste. I, I could have done so much more. I could have made a greater difference. Why didn't I do that? Listen, friend, all of us probably have some regrets in our life, but I can't change my past but I sure have a lot to say about my present and what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life right now. You gotta let the past go and say, Holy Spirit, use me today. Because one day as a Christian, you will stand at the judgment seat and I'm not talking about the white throne judge spoken of in Revelation. No, no, friend, that's for the unbelievers. If their name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. No, I'm not talking about judgment. If you're born again, you're going to be in heaven. I'm talking about there's going to be a ceremony in heaven, kind of like the Emmys, the Grammys, or the Oscars, where now you'll receive a reward for your faithful service to the Lord. And here's how the Bible describes that day. 1 Corinthians 3.13. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. So let me give you the Reader's Digest version. God is going to judge our motives, you and me. And it's not so much about the quantity, it is about the quality. 
It's about the whys, the motives, why you did what you did. And if you have been faithful and served the Lord with a pure heart, a heart motivated out of love and devotion, if you say, Lord, I just want to serve somewhere. I don't care if, if the pastors put me in the parking lot. I don't care if they put me in the nursery. I, I don't care where they put me. I just want to serve you, Lord, because I know the alarm clock is going off in my heart. I know that there are millions of people that are even in this city that need Jesus. And so, Lord, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And if you do that out of love and devotion, then you'll be rewarded by your faithfulness. And when the fire of God hits your ministry or your body of work, it'll come forth like gold, silver, and precious stone. And it's not the monetary value of the things you do, though those things can be used for the glory of God. It's all about your heart. But if you've been unfaithful or done it with the wrong motives, looking to advance yourself, you will not receive that reward. Oh, listen, you'll be saved. You'll be in heaven because your salvation is not based on works. Your salvation is based on grace. But you'll be like one escaping the flame. In other words, when God breathes on those things, it'll burn up like hay, wood, and stubble. And the smell of smoke will be on you, just like you're escaping the flame. Can you imagine? It's kind of like sitting at a bonfire and you're sitting there and you weren't in the fire, but you were around it. And so now you smell like smoke and, and you walk into the tent or back into the cabin and somebody goes, <laughs> you smell like smoke. Or kind of like when you're barbecuing and the person that's barbecuing smells like the barbecue when he comes in. Can you imagine walking down 101 Hallelujah Boulevard after that service, that ceremony? Right? And, and you're walking to your mansion, and as you're walking down the street, here comes Peter, James, and John. Zechariah, Nehemiah. And as they pass you by, someone says, smells like smoke. And you realize you've been unfaithful, saved, you had a saved soul, but a lost life. That's what Alan Redpath said, a saved soul, but a lost life. Friends, it's not enough just to get to heaven. We want to get to heaven having done something with our life, all for God's glory. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.